What up, y'all? Welcome to Queer Walk, the podcast, the insurgent bi-weekly audio syllabus for queer folks of color. I am money, and I am a whole mood because I've been dissertating, and I just finished my results chapter, so... Yeah, I'm not crying about it anymore. It's just done. That's big news. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. You're like a stone's throw away from a full draft. I'm so mm-hmm. proud of you. you just been pushing through. I'm proud of myself. It's like, I'm for real about to be a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, whenever you get that PhD, you know you're only going to be able to ever intro, intro yourself as Dr. Money. From here you know, on. I really need to reclaim it. Because, you yeah. know, it was really fucked over by that awful man at Johns Hopkins, but... Oh, right. Yes. So, uh, yes, he's canceled and money is the new official and only Dr. Money. (laughs) All right. And I am Nikita, your labor-loving lesbian. Oh, look! I like how both of our um, intro uh, names this week relate to our segments. Segments, yeah. Yes. All right, so let's go ahead and get into the intro. Your chocolate demeanor and your cocoa kisses. I see your flow from a distance. Your vibe inside my submission. I give you all of me. Wanna make you proud of me. We see the God in all you do. Your light is harmony. Every type, darkest night, brightest light. I'm loving your soul. They hate you, replace you, take you, but know that you go. Worldwide from every continent. I just want you to jig a little bit. Move them hips, feel that bliss. Hug your sis, make a fist. Don't resist your temptation. You're amazing, no limitation. My favorite in this matrix. We move by your vibration and that's love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby, you love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby, you love. I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby, you love. You love. All right, before we get into anything else. We have a major, 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 major announcement, announcement, announcement. announcement. See, if, if I knew how to just put the, the echo uh, <laughs> effect in, uh, I'd just do that. Your, your queer rigged version works fine. <laughs> but y'all, we are having a Queer Walk Upstate Escape, August 30th through September 1st. And we need you to RSVP for free by August 8th. Yes, we are, are looking forward to seeing your beautiful queer faces. Yes. So some of y'all might be like, what's the Queer Walk Upstate Escape? So we, y'all know we up here in Syracuse. Although we trash it a lot, there's really some amazing things to get into here in the summer. That's and we right. want y'all to experience that. Um, so everybody in the the upstate band, the New England area, yes. yeah. If you even if from further, if you want to travel, come on out. We have lots of events planned. Um, we need y'all to RSVP if you're interested in coming because we need a head count. We're trying to make all these events no cost to y'all, and in order to do that, we need to know how many people we're accommodating. Right. And, like, what kind of spaces to get and stuff. So, I'm going to just give y'all, like, a a framework of what you could expect. Um, If y'all thinking, hmm, do I want to RSVP? Not sure. I don't know if I really, truly want to kick it with money in the keto. (laughs) You do. Uh, (laughs) Obviously. Um, So, uh, the night of August 30th, 
We are having a denim party. Yeah, so come through in your cutest denim. You know, yeah, push through in like a cute denim outfit. Right. Uh, and then the next day, August 31st, we are going to experience one of the um, beautiful state parks that is actually located here it's in so Syracuse. Yes. Yeah, Green Lakes. Um, we're going to have a QPOC mixer. So that is a closed event. For a um, Q- for. Cupox only. Yes, for Quilt Bang Gang only. Then we're going to flood the club at Wonder Bar. A nice new queer establishment. It is really cute, y'all. And us. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even want to mention the other yeah. raggedy establishments here. But <laughs> no, no, this no, is no. a wonderful, nice new space. It is. And it's going to be so much fun with all of you all in it. Exactly. You know, we make the space. And then finally, Sunday, September 1st. We, uh, who else would we be if we wasn't brunching? So we're going to have a brunch at one, um, one of like Syracuse's gyms, Funkin' mm-hmm. Waffle. And then we are going to take y'all all to the New York State Fair. Yeah. Um, which there's going to be some amazing live music. Yeah. The, this day we picked if we want to go because Sheila E and the Roots are performing. Yes. And again, we need you to RSVP so we can buy these tickets. Uh, so yeah, again, all of this stuff we want to be on us. All you gotta do is get your butt to Syracuse and experience it with us. Again, August thirtieth through September first, come kick it with us. RSVP for free at the link in the description box. Um, so you get your lodging, you get your travel, and we're trying to take care of the rest. And but we, we got can only do that else. if you all let us know by RSVPing. Yeah, respond, s'il vous plaît. That's what that's there for? Yeah. Respond, please. Respond, please? Yeah. In French? Mm-hmm. Oh. Hashtag cultured. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> for real. Cultured <laughs> queer. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, go ahead and do that um, so we can, like, keep the ball rolling on yeah. that. We're so excited about it, and we can't wait to see y'all faces. Hey, what's up? This is your girl, Diamond Styles. And I'm Mia Mick. And I'm Zahir. And we are Marsha's Plate, the, the podcast. podcast. And you can find us on all platforms such as iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and even the other one that I don't know. <laughs> SoundCloud. <laughs> That's the only one you missed, bitch. Can you edit that out, please? No. Z, where can they find us? Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. <laughs> And right now you are listening to one of the premier voices of the queer community, Queer Walk, the podcast. Hosted by money, therapizing your shit so you can navigate this world in your beautiful black body with a beautiful, healthy mind. And Nikita, here to teach you how to organize and fight this capitalism. And she might even serenade you with a black soul song. I mean, you don't get no better than that. So... Listen to me when I tell you, you're in the right spot at the right time. Enjoy yourself. All right, Nikita, you want to tell folks where they can find us? Now that they know they can see us at the end of August, where can they find us? So in the social media streets, you can find us on Instagram and on Twitter with the same handle, at QueerWalkPod, that's Pod, P-O-D. You can also find us on the Book of Faces, QueerWalk, colon, the podcast. <laughs> you can also find us on Tumblr, where it all began, at QueerWalk.com. And like I always say, you know, sometimes you might want to send us something a little bit more personal, mm-hmm. something a little bit more private. Maybe, a little bit more lengthy, Maybe girthy. I was about to say, oh, oh girthy. <laughs> 
Wow. Okay. Um, so if you want to send us something of length and girth, money's words, you can shoot us an email, queerrockpod, P-O-D, at gmail.com. Where can you listen to this amazing bi-weekly insurgent audio syllabus? I'm going to tell you. On Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple Podcast app, or CastBox. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. You can find me at the bottom of the fucking volcano. It's so hot. <laughs> it's really hot, but we can't have the fan on because audio quality. You see what we do for you? <laughs> you see what we do for you? <laughs> All right, money. Mm-hmm. You and I are the wonderful, delicious, and amazing co-hosts of this program. But it's not just about us. So how can the rest of the Queer Rock community contribute to this here community? Uh, sure. I'll tell you that. Y'all can contribute. <laughs> Y'all can contribute in one of two ways. The first way is by loving us out loud. You can repost, rate, review, request a topic, um, retweet, reply to the episodes. Um, use the hashtag QueerWOC or hashtag QueerWalkPod. I know some of y'all use that. On any and all of the platforms that use hashtags, which are like all of them. Um, you can send us an email. Submit your Curve Chronicles at QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. You can talk to somebody at your campus or community organization to get us flu trunned or Fitbitted out. Absolutely. <laughs> and contact us at QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. That's the first way. The second way... Is by giving us them dollars. The Skrilla. Yes. The cheese. Um, the lettuce. Okay. The green. Okay. <laughs> You're done? Yes. The kale? That's, you just listed The arugula. <laughs> uh, the bok choy. <laughs> <laughs> you can become a patron of this here program and sustain us monthly. You can give as much or as little as you can afford over at patreon.com slash queerwalkpod. We have some suggestions over there for some, you know, donation amounts you can give, but you can give whatever your budget allows. And you get, um, like, first information on all things Queer Walk and some, you know, bomb-ass playlists and some, you know, other perks. Bomb-ass indeed. Um, and then if you want to do a non-committal uh, way of supporting us financially, hit up the Cash App, which is dollar sign Queer Walk Pod, P-O-D. Oh, bitch, it really is a hot girl summer right now. It really is. I don't think this is what Meg meant, but... Oh, my God. Real hot girl shit. (laughs) Coming to podcast, get it sweating and shit, bitch. (laughs) I can't even see the notes because my glasses are fogged. (laughs) Oh, God. All right, Nikita. So you want to move it on along to the Queer Walk, Queer Walk, Queer Walk of the Week. And the Queer Walk of the Week segment is just a segment... Where we highlight a queer woman of color or a queer folk of color baddie who is just like fucking it up and doing something amazing to transform society. Yeah. (laughs) Or just our Instagram feed shit. Oh my God. (laughs) I don't know if it's like merely coincidental that everybody's fine, but um, so yeah, you want to tell us about the Queer Rock of the Week this week, Nikita? Yes. So this week we are going to highlight Cassandra Extivore. That's kind of a badass name That's right a badass name, yeah. All right. So I was on Twitter a while ago, and I followed this. Um, there's a publication on Twitter. It's called Nature. It's like a science journal. And they had the, a profile 
of this of this black woman. So I read, I was like skimming through because it, you know, it's a science journal and ooh, we got real jargony, real technical, mm-hmm. real quick. So I was mm-hmm. like, well, I don't know if I fully understand this, but then I was like skimming it and it was like, as a gay black woman. And I was like, <laughs> I understand those words. <laughs> right. So um, anyway, Cassandra Extavoy is a Canadian geneticist, professor of organismic and evolutionary biology. A professor of molecular and cell biology at Harvard University. What? And, I mean, we're not done. She's also a classically trained singer. Because she got all that free time when she's <laughs> not being a geneticist and a cell biology professor right. at Harvard. And it's so funny because as soon as I, I, you know, the word organism, I missed that in. And I was like, an orgasmic evolutionary bio. I was like, I don't know anything about those sciences. So, um, anyway, so... She, like I said, she's Canadian, so her dad is from Trinidad and Tobago, and I think her mom is from, like, Sweden or some Nordic place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but her dad immigrated to Canada in the 60s, and so he was also a musician. And um, one of the, another thing I read on her Wikipedia is that one of the things that she most admired about her dad is that he would put on this festival... To celebrate MLK in Trinidad. And so that, oh I mean, not in Trinidad, excuse me, in Canada. So she says that that's something that she really admired him for. Mm-hmm. Um, but so she, I guess she like picked up his musical talent. So the first instrument she learned how to play was the steel drum. But then she learned how to read music in school. And then she taught herself how to play the flute. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> right right in that Lizzo lineage. Right. <laughs> um, and so, because of all of this, like, musical background and, like, the love for music, for the longest time, she thought she was going to be a professional musician. Mm-hmm. So, and I also listened to a podcast um, with her where they interviewed her. And I, if I find it, I'll link to it in the show notes. But so, she talks about how in high school... There was a friend she had, and through this friend, she started to get interested in how the brain worked, how the human brain mm-hmm. worked. So it was she was like sixteen, so she had, was almost like she was a, essentially like halfway done through high school. So she was like, okay, I'm really interested in. This. So she basically just like stacked the last year and a half of school with like all these science classes. It made yeah. me think about you, yeah, and your <laughs> undergrad, right? So she's like got all. She took like a year, like or like. She took basically like four years worth of like science and like these last year or two, uh, last year or two of her um, high school education. So she was like, I need this mm-hmm. so I can go on to study this at university. So uh, while she was um, in undergrad, she worked in the lab of like a really well known developmental biologist. And so that's when she got hooked into studying genes, you know, molecular biology and like evolutionary type shit, right? And so then I remember in this interview, so the, because the interviewer asked her, you know, um, they were like, oh, don't you speak multiple languages? So she speaks Spanish. And the reason why she (laughs) speaks Spanish is because she went, she knew that she wanted to do her PhD outside of Canada. She knew that Mm -hmm. she wanted to go abroad. So she went to Spain, learned Spanish. So when she was working in the lab or she was getting her PhD, she was the first and the only female student in the lab. Excuse me? The Yeah, the first and only female student in that lab. And so towards the end of that PhD, you know, she again, she's, um, she's loved music for a long time. So even towards, like, the end of her PhD, she was thinking, like, 
I think I still want to be a full-time singer. And so in this uh, Nature article, she's quoted as saying, at the end of the day, the feeling that I get performing for people is maybe better than the feeling that I get when I'm discovering something new. So, like, I think I saw in that article, there's a picture of her singing somewhere, some fancy place <laughs> in Boston, right? And so, like, I'm not even going to try to begin to explain what she's done that's so crucial because yeah. I, I would totally fuck it up, but... She has basically disproved some, like, widely accepted hypotheses about um, development and evolution in the field. So, like, she upended this leading theory of how most animals generate uh, the precursors of eggs and sperm. And in a paper uh, for the for the um, journal in which she's profiled in. So her and her team cracked a long-standing question about the diversity of insect eggs. And in nature, where they're profiling her. So she has a paper that she and her team uh, worked on and submitted, and they cracked this long-standing question about the diversity of insect eggs. Again, I can't get into the details, but she's upending, like, well-established like, theories established the- in oh, the field, wow. right? And so she started to work at this Harvard. This is what I'm doing as well. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. And so in 2007, uh, she started to work at Harvard. She runs her own lab there. Um, so in the in, in the article, she was talking about how important it is for her to be, like, interacting with black students. Um, and not just, like, for their sake, but I really appreciate it about the fact that she said, like, it's important for her, for her. own yes. um, well-being. And, um, so she also said that, you know, music provides some solace because, of course, she's Mm -hmm. the only person. Right, right. Usually the only, like, black, like, queer black woman Mm -hmm. in the field. So music provides solace. But, of course, it's her friends and her family. Hashtag community. So she says, like, they're absolutely crucial to her. And so, um, they didn't give the name of her wife, but, um, they said that her wife, who was also a black woman, um, is an invaluable source of support. (laughs) They made sure they had to say that. I I just appreciated that. So she says, uh, talking about her wife, we can understand a lot of what each of us are going through. So I just was like, what? I'm blown away. That's just so amazing. And I'm excited that you got to do your nerdy uh, queer walk science thing. You see, I'm seeping it in little by little because yeah, I'm yeah. like, money will let me do she it. She wanted to do a whole episode. and I Not, oh my God, not a whole episode. Yes, she did. It's it's a it would be but, a nice thing to talk about. I mean, Doctor Extaver is astonishing. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. shout so. out to Doctor Cassandra Extaver. Oh, Extavor. I don't know how to say Extavor. her last name. Why are you doing money? Just that sounds something? like the next house is going to be on pole season three. It really does. <laughs> the house of Extaver. <laughs> Right, so we're gonna move it all along to community, community contributors. contributors. Yeah, <laughs> wow, do it a wild Wasn't that what family matters? That was terrible. <laughs> it's actually accurate. Okay? I don't think so. We're gonna give shout outs to the community contributors over on the Patreon. So, Christy upped their pledge. Thank you. And so did Kendrick. Shout out to my cousin Kendrick. Oh, Thank you. I, that was the black history. Hey, cousin Kendrick. I'm so happy to see that he donated and up, upped his pledge. Excuse okay, me. wait a minute. Wait a minute. Oh, my God. <clears throat> Here we go. Bessemer, Alabama. 
Yes! Where the hell is Bessemer? Oh my gosh, you wouldn't know. I just, thank you so much, Alabama, for coming through. Uh, You know, Alabama is like my second home. You know, I'm like money two states because I went to college down there. My my family still live down there. So shout out to Bessemer. I see y'all. And you know, we have to hold it down because I try to tell Nikita all the time. My, uh, it was, there was no droughts in my uh, relational life when I was in Alabama, okay? So there's a lot of queer walks and okay. black folks and folks of color who in, are also queer in, in Alabama. Alabama. So right. shout out to Bessemer. Shout out to Bessemer. And so if you don't regularly listen, you're probably like, why the fuck are they talking about Bessemer? So in our top 10 cities, we know it's going to be the L.A.'s, the New York's, the Chicago's, the, the Philadelphia's, right? Yeah. So we're always happy when we see in our top 10, there's some like small, like small or midtown little city that we've yeah. never heard of. Yeah. Yeah, so shout out. You know, we love the South. Speaking of the South. I was about to say, speaking of which, shout out to Miss Fluffykins. Also, her name is Nikita from Tumble. <laughs> is it Tumble or Tumble? Nikita, send us a phonetic <laughs> pronunciation of how you pronounce it. It's Tumble. Let's tombo, just say Tumble. That's funner. Turn up and Tumble. It was just so <laughs> fun to, because we mentioned uh, Tumble in the last episode, yeah. and then Nikita hit us up on Twitter. And it was, was like, like, I live there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yes. Yeah, and she also confirmed that Cut and Shoot is you, an actual I told place. you it was a real place. I, I thought you made it up to scare us. No, it's <laughs> cut, cut and Shoot, Texas is a real place. <laughs> Much to my what, terror. I'm like, what is this country? <laughs> cut and Shoot. All righty. Um, you wanted to give another shout out on the Twitter front. Okay, so I'm neurotic. So every time people follow us, I'm always, I always go and see like what they're about. And th- for like the past few months, we just have had a total wave of sex educators, writers, bloggers, and sex workers follow us on our Twitter. So shout out to sex workers, educators, writers, and bloggers. Yes. Hey! And we don't know who it was who like kicked it off right. the first, but just thank you for... For sharing it, um, and it also lets me know that like we're, we're we must be doing something right as like folks who are aligned with like supporting right. sex workers, um, sex writers, sex educators, sex all that pos- stuff. Sex positivity. Yeah, in yeah, yeah. So like, thank y'all for the follows that. and for the continued support. Indeed, community contributes. All right. You want to read the new review, Nikita? You're just going to let me do all the community contributions? Okay, fine. No, I want to do it. Nope, I'll do it because you did the Queer Walk of the Week all by yourself. So we have a new review. First of all, we see the stars coming through. So thank y'all for the stars. Yep. Uh, We have a new review from Ariel Brianna G. Ariel writes, I discovered Queer Walk Podcast last month. Not only have I listened and caught up on every episode, damn! Right. That's intense. That's dedication or the kind of person that would show up and kill us in person. So I hope that's just dedication. That's like 140 hours of our voices. Yeah. We appreciate that. We appreciate it. And I really hope you're not sick of me by now. (laughs) I am now re-listening to old episodes. Thank you, Money and Nikita, for simply being... For simply being. This podcast has been so reaffirming and necessary to life. And to not like overanalyze it, but 
Ariel just didn't say necessary to my life, just necessary to life. In general. Yeah, I appreciate life-giving. that. Life-giving. Yeah. We're, we're actually doing, um, like, that microbiology work, like Dr. Wow, Xavier. Okay, that is a stretch. <laughs> wow. You must be getting your PhD in bullshit, because that was outrageous. That was outrageous. <laughs> All right. So, I don't have a jingle okay. for this episode. But later on in the segment, I hope you'll see why. Because you'll see where my efforts have gone elsewhere for this episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So we're going to move it on along to my personal favorite segment on the program, which is the mental moment with money. What the hell is the mental moment with money? I'm going to tell you. It is where our resident, our limited, licensed marriage and family therapist, <laughs> money, right. credentials, credentials <laughs> gives us important tidbits and information on Mental health, and it's, I don't even want to reduce it to that because it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's around like tools, kind of like the history or mm-hmm. like tying it to other things that are happening um, in society related to care and mental health. Yes. All right. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Take it away, money. Okay. <clears throat> A couple things before I get into this one. First of all, uh, everybody who reached out to me saying that you felt like dragged by my last mental moment around coping oh, skills. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And what are actually constructive coping skills? I did that. I said, I think I, I hope I said this on the episode because I also needed to fire some shots at myself. So y'all ain't the only ones out there, um, like escaping and using uh, neutral coping skills. Uh, I too, yeah, use a neutral and a like, negative here and there. Is it like you just stood in the room and just fired <laughs> off shots at <of> everybody? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, so. Just keep, continue to reach out to me. I'm y'all know I'm always down to talk coping skills and um, like grounding activities to like get us out of our anxiety. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to say that. Secondly, before I go into this one, I just need to like uplift all the uh, fundraising efforts that are happening around our foremother, black queer uh, warrior, uh, Miss Major. Because And it's going to make sense why I'm doing this because Miss mm. um, Major is like one of the only like warriors of the Stonewall Uprisings that we still have with us. Right. And she needs us, y'all. So I'm going to put the links to the uh, fundraisers that I know. I know Raquel Willis has posted some. I know like so many of our homies and like the Batty Brigade have posted uh, fundraising efforts for Miss Major on their podcast and episode, um, podcast and pages. Uh, so the links are going to be in the description to like everything that I've seen, um, and we gotta support Miss Major. For the folks who don't know, like what's going on, Miss Major um, was hospitalized because she had a stroke uh, recently, and she's out of the hospital now. But y'all know, like recovering from absolutely, strokes, you know, absolutely. you need to rehabilitation, and that shit ain't cheap, right? And there ain't no retirement plan in being a queer warrior. So we got to take care of our elders, y'all. So I'm going to put the uh, link in the description to the fundraising efforts. Okay, so I wanted to uplift Miss Major because today for my mental moment, it's not going to be like my traditional ones. This is actually, I'm doing a call out to um, the American Psychoanalysis Association and I'm going to drag them. Um, and I want to do, I want to highlight five ways that they can actually give reparations for the harm that they caused our community. So, uh, after, okay, okay, I'm a backup. 
Okay. I need to give a little bit of history. I promise it'll be fast. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I just need to nerd out about this Please. for a second. You know we love that. Because I need to explain like why reparations are necessary. Because okay. I think we say things like psychology 101, like passing, all this stuff. But I really want to explain what happened, what had happened was, right? Okay. So we, we left Pride Month. I think everybody knows like Stonewall uprisings, mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. of this happened. I don't think we understand like how... Um, instrumental psychiatrists, mm. psychologists in the mental health field were in like criminalizing homosexuality and queerness. Oh shit, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> we just gonna start calling this segment who want it? <laughs> I'm in my bag, bitch. No, <laughs> no for real. Yeah, I've been in dissertation mode, you know. I'm just trying to drop these freestyles for these files get old. Um, so so during Pride Month. The NYPD issued a weak-ass apology for Stonewall and, like, their handling of queer folks. And so, when that happened, basically, um, this therapist, I need to say his name, Jack Drescher, uh, went to the American Psychoanalytic Association and was like, the NYPD just apologized. What y'all finna do? And so they issued an apology. So um, that's what prompted like this whole mental moment, right? I didn't even realize that. So I'm gonna walk us backwards um, and give us a brief history of how, how what, why is the uh, APA apologizing, and how they were a part of this horrendous like criminalization and uh, stigmatizing. Men- stigmatizing of queerness. All right, so the American Psychoanalysis Association uh, comes out of the work of Sigmund Freud. And a lot of folks credit Freud as the father of modern therapy. He's the one who, like, really wrote this shit into practice, right? So I just want to... Freud was fucked up and wrong about a lot of stuff, but he really wasn't that homophobic. (laughs) (laughs) Where are we going with this, Okay. So, so Freud never thought of homosexuality, queerness as um, a, a mental illness or like, um, yeah, something that needed to be treated. He thought about it as sexual developmental, like, arrest, I think is his word he used. So, it's like you develop in your sexuality to a point and then you kind of stop. Okay. Which is, I mean, it's still, you basically calling us childish, but that's different than calling us sick and okay. needed to be treated. Perverts. Right. So there's this really famous letter that um, this really fucked up mama wrote to Freud in like 1935 and was like, oh my gosh, my son, I found him like with his best friend, blah, 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 blah. I need to bring him for treatment to you. And Freud was basically like, what I think you're saying is that your son is gay. Uh Of course, he used the word homosexual because it's 1935. And he was like... Essentially, there's no treatment for that. At best, you can hope for bisexuality. <laughs> oh, wow. Which is, I think his terminology was germs of home, of heterosexuality to be implanted. And then your son would, like, date men and women. So, oh, we understand wow. that as, like, you know, broadly bisexuality. So, Freud was just like, ain't no treatment I could give your son. This is not something that needs to be treated. Okay. So, how do we get from that? To it being classified in the first DSM as a, um, a sexual disturbance. Well, these little like offspring of Freud, who did all kind of horrible stuff with his work, really took this to the extreme. So they turned it into like a phobia. And at this time, he's still alive. He's like 
petitioning to like Austria and Germany to decriminalize homosexuality. Hmm. But at the same time, the APA is is calling it a, a phobia, like heterophobia. Um, oh, so like you're afraid of being you're straight. You're afraid of being straight. Oh, wow. Um, and then like a sexual disturbance and then like a full out neurosis. Like this is a mental illness. Okay. Um, and so, you know, the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which psychoanalysis, essentially psychoanalysis are the statisticians of mental health. Oh. So they are like so instrumental in creating diagnostical codes because they basically what a diagnosis is, is they take the general population and they're like, how much is this thing distressing a person? In comparison to, like, general the population statistics. Okay. Right. And so, essentially what they did was, like, these people, queer folks, are, like, just, they off, they rockers. So, they classified it as a neurosis. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual comes out and homosexuality is in the DSM. Mm-hmm. Meaning that it's a mental illness, okay. right? They they effectively made the um, homosexuality a mental illness. Okay. The DSM is international. So this means it's an effect in every country that hetero- that heterosexuality is the way folks are supposed to be. So then what do therapists start to do? Conversion therapy. Like this is something that needs to right, be treated. Right, something is wrong with Something you. is you wrong. You need to be quote unquote fixed. You need to be treated, okay. right. The DSM-2 comes out. Shit still listed in there as a um as a mental illness that needs to be treated. So so this is uh 10 12 years now that homosexuality is being treated as a mental illness. So the APA that I know, the American Psychiatric Association, they meet in 1968. This is their um, international conference. Um, And so they're voting on the DSM-3. And they're like, oh, should we include this thing again? Because it's 1968 at this point. Mm -hmm. So the the cafeteria riots had already happened that Nikita talked about in the last episode. Queer folks taken to the streets, you know, so they're like, hmm, what do we do? They decide that they would include it again. But, so it went to print, DSM-3, homosexuality, still a mental illness. But the board had to meet again for like, you know, all they fancy inter-organization um, stuff. And in San Francisco, queer activists storm the board oh yeah and there's like this story that it was mostly like drag queens and i think like and at the time people would probably call them drag queens but i i just every time i learn about queer history trans women have been the on the vanguard absolutely so (laughs) so 1970 san francisco queer activists stormed the board meeting and are like motherfuckers y'all are not including it again (laughs) and it takes the board three years to come to the conclusion after after their board meeting gets taken over. You know, organizing work is slow work, but it works because the board voted to take it out. Wow. Then here come the whack-ass psychoanalysis, the psychoanalysts, and they show up and they're like, no, it still needs to be in here statistically, ah, 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 only like 10% of people, ah, ah, ah. So this is a mental illness, right? So their argument was because uh, we're basically, uh, to use an, an old phrase, a sexual minority. The right. fact that it's minority status is exactly. what says that it's, this is fucked up and weird. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and so they put it to a vote to the whole organization. 
And in a vote of like 58 to 42 majority, it the the removal stood. Wow. So what DSM is it taken out DSM of? DSM 3. And which and one are we on ni- now? And that was 1973. Which, which, which? We're on DSM 5. Oh. Whoa. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like 7 or 8. <laughs> Wait, wait, and okay. So, so this is where we're at, right? 1973. They put it to a vote. It passes by 58. percent Okay. I'm just so thankful for that eight percent. Yeah. Um, it gets taken out. The removal of homosexuality from the DSM. So, like, you know, um, the queers in San Francisco should really have turned up because <laughs> that it was because of yeah. their storming yeah, yeah, that board yeah. meeting. And of course, we don't talk about that in mental health training. Um. Uh, programs we just say in the DSM 3 it was taken out it went to print with it in there and activists stormed the board meeting queer activists stormed the board meeting and was like motherfuckers y'all are gonna take this out so (laughs) so that's how it came out all right then the APA is still practicing conversion therapy so they're like we took it out but Basically, they they left it up to the therapist to to say whether or not you would treat somebody for homosexuality. It wasn't until 1991, after a lawsuit and so much pushing from this therapist, this white gay therapist named Ralph Rawton, he's like constant every year challenging the APA to issue like a statement condemning um, conversion therapy. And I keep saying that, but conversion therapy basically means that you, t- you take a queer person into therapy and treat them until they're straight. Every year, I, so many papers get published showing that conversion therapy doesn't work. The most common outcome of conversion therapy is, therapy is people just stop dating altogether. Oh, boy. Because it, it's that fucking damaging, right? And so in 1991, they get sued because they're doing, like, electroconvulsive therapy in 1991 yes yes so they had hooked this dude up to like a shock machine and showed him like queer porn or like images of guys and they would shock him every time he got around yeah oh my yeah 91 yes girl that's what i'm saying they act like this is like ancient history it was years ago i was born i was here i was walking around (laughs) i was doing shit breathing and shit (laughs) Yeah, so in 1991, they get sued, and they finally issue an anti-discrimination against homosexuals statement. Okay. In 1992, they committed, so the following year, they committed to training that supports homosexuality. So, like, LGBT affirm, well, LGB, because gender dysphoria and transness, that's a, that's a different story when it comes to the DSM. Um, I would have to do a whole nother mental moment. <laughs> so in 1992, they commit to training therapists that are LGB affirming. Mm-hmm. 1992, Nikita. That's such a wide gap. From 1973 when it got taken out to 1992. Yeah. Again, that's a whole nother generation that's been harmed yeah. by conversion therapy, right? In 1997, again, I want to emphasize, this is not because APA was like, you know what? We royally fucked up. Yeah, yeah. All of the research supports that conversion therapy is hot shit. (laughs) All of the activism supports that, like, society has changed and we are not a fucking defect. So that's what's pushing them, right? It's it's not like they woke up one morning and was like, we're going to do the right thing. So in 1997... 
they finally formed a, a like affinity group within the organization on specific issues for gender and sexuality. Mm-hmm. And after Ralph Rawton passes, again, this was the white gay guy who's pushing the yeah. fuck out of them. After he dies, um, they create the Ralph Rawton Paper Award um, for for a scholarly contributions to the understanding of treatment of LGBTQ wow. folks. This is like two thousand. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Um, So, now we're to present day uh, 2019. On June 21st of this year, um, again, this, this, I want to say his name, because, you know, because I I wanted to highlight, like, how much it takes queer therapists. I should say that. So, you go through these programs that are harming you. Because, like, you... So this queer therapist, Jack Drescher, is like pushing like, okay, so so the NYPD issued an apology. What y'all going to do, right? So the American Psych- Psychiatric Association president, Lee Jaffe, <laughs> um, says this at their annual meeting in San Diego. Regrettably, much of our past understandings of homosexuality as an illness can be attributed to the American psychoanalytic establishment. While our efforts in advocating for sexual and gender diversity since are worthy of pride, it is long past time to recognize and apologize for our role in the discrimination and trauma caused by our profession and say we are sorry. That's not a fuck enough. So, you know, all these articles go out saying that APA issues this apology and we're supposed to clap and celebrate because they did it during yeah. Pride and da-da-da. No, <laughs> you at least I count three generations of queer folks are like deeply, deeply impacted, harmed. traumatized, yeah. harmed and all because you decided to classify this as a mental illness. Yeah. Right. Um. So fuck y'all. And so, yeah, I hope that history like paints a picture of like what I'm about to say. This is amazing. Um, an I apology no is not enough. An apology is not enough. We need reparations. Yeah. We need our quilt bang reparations for the harm that psych- psychoanalysts, psychologists, therapists, um, all y'all motherfuckers did to LGBT yeah. folks. Um, from from the first publication of a DSM in 1953 until now, to June 21st, 2019. Um, so I, me, who's just up here trying to change theory, future <laughs> doctor money, <laughs> I have come up with five things that the APA can do that will be actual reparations for the harms that they caused. Queer folks, okay. This is this is gonna this is gonna miss so many of y'all because it's really nerdy. I know, but I just really wanted to do this as my mental moment. The first thing: every K crap and APA accredited program, so essentially every training program for therapists, um, uh, K crap, APA, Coamta, all all the accreditation bodies must include a specific course on gender and sexuality. And I want it to be just like the skills course. If you don't pass the gender and sexuality uh, course, you don't get your degree. Right. You just can't be a therapist. The second thing that the APA could do, <laughs> um, start a queer person of color master's fellowship. 
Um, essentially, a master's degree is the only degree you need to be a therapist. It's like the terminal degree. Mm-hmm. And there's just not enough queer and trans folks of color in these programs. So I want, and they have like these diversity fellowships, you know, mm-hmm. this loose wording that essentially white people who say I grew up poor can get, uh-huh. you know, <laughs> so it's like, no, I want specifically a queer person of color master's fellowship where if we're interested in being therapists, we can go and like do it for free. Cause that debt that I went into, I graduated undergrad debt free Left my master's program with $55,000 in student loan debt. So, the third thing, fee waivers for licensure for LGBT folks. So, I've talked about this before on here, but licensure is an elitist um, and classist process as a therapist. So, let's say you make it through your master's program, and then you got to look at an $825 licensure process, right? Between taking the exams... Um, and actually paying for your license, it can be really expensive. And I think that there need to be fee waivers or fee reductions for LGBT folks who, who, who survive yeah. their programs. So that's the third thing, the, the third re- reparation that the APA could do. The fourth is to suspend the licenses of therapists that are still practicing conversion therapy. They just don't need to be therapists. If you've already condemned it, if research shows that it doesn't work, if you actually say that you're doing that that therapists need to be affirming of LGBT folks, then you need to suspend licenses yeah. of motherfuckers who are right. still out here That's right. practicing conversion therapy. And I will drag Chick-fil-A every time we see you. They actively, actively fund conversion therapy. Wow. Um, so yeah. And the last thing that the APA could do for some reparations for their fuckery and bitch assness is to be advocates for having therapy covered for all queer folks, period for all insurances, period, (laughs) because that is such a barrier barrier, to getting services. Um, And they have all these loopholes of like what therapists count, what therapists don't count, um, what insurance can cover what. No, they, that these um, APA y'all were like the main lobbyers like getting um getting it so that like uh therapists have to write these approval letters for folks to get gender confirm- confirmation surgery y'all can, if y'all can do it in that way you can do it in in wow. the supportive way and lobby so that LGBT folks don't have to jump through all these hoops and hurdles to get therapists so yeah real quick five reparations k crep and an APA accredited program must include specific gender and sexuality courses, queer POC master's fellowship, fee waivers for licensures for LGBT folks, suspend the licenses of therapists practicing conversion therapy, Cut it. and be advocates for having therapy covered for all queer folks by all insurances. Money, this is fantastic. I was like on the edge of my seat for this one. (laughs) Oh my gosh, thanks. This is good. uh, I hope it made sense to somebody, but like. That was good. I didn't know any of that history. Really? None of it. Yeah. Knew none of those names. Wow. Hmm. This this is what I do, you know? (laughs) Literally, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Weak and washed apology is just not enough. You got to do, rep- you got to repair. Repair the so harm, what yeah. So what did you tell me about what reparations are? You have to acknowledge that the harm was done and then you have to do something to restore. To repair, absolutely. Yep. So that's so I'm holding y'all to 
the second part of that. Y'all got to do some reparations. Ding, 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 ding. And now our bi-weekly word from our wonderful womanist worker, wordsmith wizard, Nikita. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. I wasn't even going to do my uh, big timers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. So, this is a segment where Nikita breaks down some, like, current um, social justice issue or jargon so that we can understand what we need to know about it as queer folks of color. So, Nikita, you want to just jump on in? Yeah. All right. So, I'm going to talk about the Amazon strike that just happened. So, let me just say what precipitated this. So... If you follow us on Twitter, uh, you might have seen. So, And let me just go ahead and say this because I want to get it out the way. It, it ain't no shots fired kind of thing. So we were going back and forth with Crystal from The Read because she tweeted, um, like, I mean, she was basically trying to say, like, what's the point of a two-day boycott, mm-hmm. right? Because there was, in addition to, the, to support the strike, there was a call for consumers to boycott on Amazon Prime, Prime Days. Day. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, in that moment, I was heated, but I then after I thought about it, I'm like, a lot of people have these questions who are not involved in organizing or are not around organizing. So I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I think it's a fair question. So, but but there's just a lot of history that led up uh, to this Amazon strike. So I just really kind of wanted to walk us through um, what this group of workers have been, um, what they've been doing, and all the work that culminated into the Amazon. Prime Day strike. Okay, all of this is taking place in Minnesota in um, this small town called Shakopee. So Amazon opens up a fulfillment center. So this is a place where the workers are filling all these different orders, yeah, yeah. right? So like, it opens up in 2016, so not that long ago. And it's important to know that this, it opened up. So Shakopee has a really big Somali immigrant community. And this is really important because actually when they first, when the Amazon Fulfillment Center opened in Shakopee, uh, they used a really aggressive recruitment um, to actually get East African immigrants to work in this fulfillment center. Um, and so they even went as far as, uh, so they put, you know, they put up all these billboards and all this stuff. And they even went so far to Amazon put a bus line that went from like the neighborhood to where these folks live to the distribution center. Uh, We're going to talk about that. I mean, they end up pulling funding for that bus line at the end of 2017. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was one of the, so that them pulling that funding for that bus like a year later was actually one of the issues that folks started to protest and rally around. So Mm -hmm. I think the thing like I keep saying, and I'm, I'm probably going to keep saying is that this strike didn't just come out of nowhere. It's a culmination of all this other work that this group of workers, again, largely um, East African immigrant workers have been doing in the past year and a half. Um, this is wild. So. Cause that could have easily been Syracuse. Easily. Huge, easily. Yeah. And so um, Amazon says that the num the amount of East African workers there are like thirty percent, but when I in the different articles I've read when when they um like talk to and when they quote workers they say 
it's at least half or even way more. Wow. And so um, we're going to get into it a little bit later, but I think it's important to try to figure out why would Amazon lie about that number. Um, and so I'm not going to get into it um, too much right now because it comes into one of the demands that they have been raising. But I do feel like it's important to try to think about why they targeted this group of workers mm-hmm. to like work in this distribution, excuse me, in this fulfillment center. And it's just like, I mean, it doesn't, you know, it's not rocket science. You know, employers really want subservient and vulnerable yeah. uh, workers. And so I think that they were probably assuming, you know, these folks are immigrants. They don't know too much about their rights. Right, They're right. just going to be happy to have a job. Let's try to get... And we know that immigrants are overrepresented in low-wage yep. um, work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like I said, you know, they went so far as to put that bus in there, and then they would eventually pull that funding um, for that bus. And then workers circulated a petition to get that funding back. And that was in 2017. So, again, there's there's all these other things that have um, been animating these workers. Mm-hmm. So, one of the big issues that the workers in this particular fulfillment center have really been um, really trying to get Amazon to change is something called the rate. And so the rate is it refers to this really obscene and like outrageous speeds that workers like have to fill boxes and stow all this different shit. So um, there's one of the leaders and, and workers who's been like working, uh, who's been organizing for a while. Her name is Habak Mohammed. And so she's worked at the facility since it opened. And so she said when she first got there, the rate of how many items she had to put in a box was um, it was like 120. Uh, I think it was like 120 per hour. And then what? it moved up to 280. Um, in some articles, I've seen that the number went up to 260. But then in there was another um, article. So you got to like box four items a minute? So where a worker said um, it, was, it could either be 280 or like in the in a very busy season, it can go all the way up to 400. Right. And so they also. An hour? I, yeah, in an hour. And so it actually might even be less than an hour because there was um, there was one guy he said well he he saw he did the math um, this was in another department and they were saying that he needed to stow things at a rate of like he was basically stowing things at like eight like uh, per eight seconds and so like this is I mean it's outrageous and so they also they changed one of the metrics where they were uh, workers would be permitted to commit basically one error per a thousand items, but then they upped it to where you can only commit one error within uh, by packing twenty two hundred items. So I mean, this shit is outrageous. What? Yeah, and so even in my um, like experience from like uh, the worker center, one of the things that we used to go to was all these health and safety trainings, and like repetitive motion yeah. is a thing that that has really fucked workers up. Like, yeah. I remember I was doing outreach around town and I met a janitor who, who's been a janitor for like 30 years and he had to get surgery in his wrist because he was a janitor. He got tendonitis from like the constant yeah, yeah. motion of sweeping, sweeping. back and forth mm-hmm. from using the mop, had to get surgery. And in one of the articles I read, there was an Amazon worker who came to the strikes and just recently, the mm-hmm. Prime Day strikes. So she came all the way from Dallas to support um, the workers in Minnesota. Her name was Kimberly Hatfield Ibarra. And so she was she's in the process of battling Amazon over workplace um, injuries because so she has uh, repetitive stress in- injuries that have piled up from her work in yeah. that job. And so... Um, Another thing is that this is related to another one of their like ongoing demands is that um, 
Amazon, this is not a surprise, is terrible around paying workers for workers' compensation. And it's like, again, under these really outrageous conditions, like people are going to be prone to like hurting themselves. And so she was quoted as saying, like, when it comes to workers' injuries, they, meaning Amazon, she said they really know how to shoot down a claim. And so we don't have time to get onto it to get into it today but employers are notorious for trying to um not play not yeah. pay out that workers compensation claims count. yeah right mm-hmm. and so so again the, the issue around this rate is going to be an ongoing um thing and so I'm just go ahead no i i'm, I'm i feel like i like i knew it was bad yeah. like i knew amazon working conditions were bad shit is bad but when we made that joke when you talked about um um, sorry to bother you yeah. about worry-free being Amazon. This is literally worry-free yeah. is Amazon. Yeah. You're busing people from their house to right. your to your factory. Exactly. Where they have to box at, at obscene rates. 400 items an hour? Yeah. Yeah. And so, related to this thing around the uh, the rate... Is that again? It's all black people that you talk about, right? <laughs> and so uh, related to the fact that these are um, East African uh, immigrants, a lot of them are Muslim. So it's uh, one of the things. Another issue um, that Habak raised is that so according to so by law, like to in order, you're supposed to be able to practice. You're supposed mm-hmm. to be able to have religious freedom, mm-hmm. right? That's the law, right? Uh, du jour, of if you will, but Habak and other workers um, at this uh, particular facility, so they ask, could they take these breaks for prayer? You know, Muslims mm-hmm. pray five times a day. Mm-hmm. So uh, the company says, yeah, sure, but they didn't modify or lower any of the ridiculous uh, rate, right? And so it's like you can say, yeah, y'all free to um, do your prayers, but you if know, if you don't meet your rate, you fired, right? And so they're like, there's no way for be, for them to be able to meaningfully practice. Right, right. Like to meaningfully express their religion if they don't actually modify like these ri- ridiculous rates. And so that was one of it. So that this has been an ongoing issue uh, that workers have been um, like raising. It's like y'all not really y'all not really trying to, oh you know, let us actually, you know, participate in our religious practice. So, just side note, in 2017, uh, there's an organization called, um, it's Awood or Awood, I don't know how to pronounce it. So, the organization, this organization is formed in 2017, and Awood is, or Awood is Somali for power. Mm-hmm. And so, it's a nonprofit dedicated to supporting East African immigrant workers. I mean, I haven't, it seems to me like it's a worker center, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so, it's supported by SEIU, uh, which is the Service Employee International Union and CARE, which is the Council on American-Islamic Relations. So, again, going back to this issue around um, prayer, in May of last year, so May 2018, the Prime Days coincided um, with Ramadan. Ramadan, yeah. yeah. Workers were concerned. They were like, you know, look, we're fasting and like this heavy, fast-paced work. Oh fuck! We're not. We're not going to be able to keep up no, with this shit. No, somebody beat them, fell out. In exactly. So the workers at this Shakopee uh, or Shakopee Center, they handed out flyers and they were telling their coworkers wear blue, which is the color of the Somali flag. Yeah. And so 
they were they were organizing around this, right? And so a day right before they were about to do their protest, um, one of the manage, managers on site said that, you know, they would set up prayer rooms and then the workers would have uh, their quotas temporarily lowered. And they didn't even have the action yet, right? So just them doing... Just handing some, out flyers. And ev- making sure that everybody wears the same color, doing some mm-hmm. kind of small collective mm-hmm. action, right? But the workers said that, okay, so, th- you know, the... The quotas were temporarily lower, but it stopped right after Ramadan, right? So it's important. So even though Amazon didn't respond and give in to what the workers like actually wanted, I think it's important to point out, and we're going to see this along the way, is that Amazon always feels compelled to respond to the collective pressure from workers at this particular Mm -hmm. facility. Whether they respond to the actual demands, I mean, of course, like an employer is going to try to hold out. They don't want to give in to the demands. Mm -hmm. But they always seem to respond, right? And it's important to... To, as we'll see, that the groups of workers are not th- easily thrown off, right? So whenever Amazon's like, okay, we're going to give you prayer rooms, they're like, that's great, but that's, that's not what not, we asked That's for. not what we asked. Come on, workers! You know, right? Yes. So that's May of 2018. Yeah. These are like excellent organizers. Yes. So yeah. May of 2018, they do the Ramadan uh, action. And then June of that same year, um, there was another protest in a press conference called uh, by uh, a wood outside of the facility. Um and where uh, workers continue to raise their concerns around pace, working in excessive heat. And it was at this um, action where workers brought up the fact that um, there, there's, no, there's not really East, any East African representation in management. Mm-hmm. And again, that's kind of what, that was where my head was going, was about why Amazon is going to like make that percentage of East African workers mm-hmm. seem lower. So I feel like, I feel, this is just my hunch is that they're like, oh, look, it's not that many of them, so they don't really need to be represented um, in management. Exactly. Not, that, not that I have faith in management generally, but I think that that's kind of what that's about. So that's June of 2018. They have this protest, still raising c- demands mm-hmm. around working conditions. Mm-hmm. And so then in September and October of uh, last year, they have these sit-down meetings with Amazon, negotiations with Amazon. And this is this is really huge. Um so, and again, all of these actions before is when they finally get this meeting up. And it's not even just a meeting. I think it's really important. And other people have used the term in different articles. It's like, these are negotiations with mm-hmm. Amazon about the working conditions. And different um, labor historians, um, there's two articles where there's like two labor historians um, that said, and even... Uh, the workers and like the executive director of a wood is like, this is the first time that they've ever heard of Amazon workers being able to like sit across sit the next table and negotiate with Amazon. But this is important because Amazon, it's really interesting how Amazon tried to spin this. So one of the spokespeople and one of the articles I read said, um, they're like, no, 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 this wasn't a negotiation. This was simply community engagement and they were like we we talked to these workers the same way we would talk to like lgbt workers or veteran workers and this is really important to point out because and this is why like we were um like trying to go back not it wasn't even just crystal why we're mm-hmm. trying to go back and forth with people because it's like mm-hmm. the boss the employers are always going to try to undermine yes. how effective the work exactly. actually is mm-hmm. Do you know what i'm saying so of course they don't want to say um, this was a negotiation, right? Then that then that gives credit to like these org these organizers did something. These workers did something to call us to the table. Exactly, and think about it. it's going to give an 
And if other workers and other uh, distribution centers and other warehouses are going to be like, huh, yeah, is that what it takes? Is that so? Yeah. It would inspire uh, um, other workers, right? right? And um, so here's what they try. Here's what they were asking for in these uh, meetings, in these negotiations with Amazon. Uh, a a woo. Yeah. So these. Uh, so a wood or a the wood, the, yeah. the group of East African workers that mm-hmm. were um, organizing. So they were again continuing to. To say we got to do something about the speed of work um, and like the physical and mental toll that that's um, taking on the workers. And they also wanted um, like they also were saying that we need job security because under these conditions, you can't keep up yeah, at this pace. Yeah. So it wasn't here. But um, in one of the articles I read, they were saying that if there was a, a facility in Baltimore and like hundreds of workers had been fired because they could not keep up. With that pace, right? So it's like there's no way that you can actually keep your job. Mm -hmm. And then the second piece of the job security is that a lot of these jobs are um, temp, they're temp agency jobs. Mm. So like you're getting you're um, getting hired in from a temp agency, and um, and they run you ragged for like six months, and then. You don't have right. a guaranteed job. Exactly. And another thing with temp agencies is like that I found in like in my experience with the worker center is that they I mean the pay is always usually significant lower than like full time permanent workers. Mm-hmm. And um uh temp agency workers are usually totally skimped on when it comes to um uh, so pay, benefits and like training around like health and safety. Oh. Right? And they so, just throw you in. Right. And so th- there was a really good documentary called, um, I think it's called A Day's Work. And there was a young black man in Florida who was working at a Bacardi factory. He was crushed by this machine. Um, and like you, and they, there's unfortunately there's video footage, and you can see that he's just kind of like scrambling around, mm-hmm. like he doesn't know what he's doing, and it's like that's not his fault. But it's, it goes to show that that like temp workers, and yeah. in that documentary they show like a number of times where like they'll they'll show a video to like a predominantly like Spanish speaking or some other non English speaking group mm-hmm. of workers, and they'll show them a training video or a health and safety video in English. And that's it. That's right. And so there's there's yeah. no real meaningful um training usually of health and safety uh for uh temp workers. So again there so they're talking about the speed of work, um job security and after these meetings doing what Amazon uh did or doing what Amazon does, uh so they came back and they offered some compromises like requiring uh the company or this facility to hire a general manager and a in a Somali speaking uh manager to agree on any firings but the group was like cool that's not that's you not addressing <laughs> the not shit that we we're asking for. you for yep. You know what I mean? And so they're like, that don't do nothing about speed of work, Mm -hmm. right? Um, It doesn't do anything around, like, job security. And, again, it's just really a testament to these workers that they're like, cool. It's not, it's not, it's not, you know, they're not backing down. They're not giving in on their demand. Okay, so that was September and October of last year. Last year. year. Right? And Mm -hmm. so then there's this huge protest that they do at the end of last year in December. And so there's about, like... 250 people marched, not just, they didn't just do the protests outside the building, but they marched into the building's main entrance. They were, and they were still kept raising their demand. So at this huge protest, it was none other. So one of the people who was there was none other than our formidable 
uh, badass uh, Congresswoman Representative Ilhan Omar because y'all yes. know her district is in Minnesota and so she came out and she yes. went to the protest and spoke out in support mm-hmm. of her and just you know side note solidarity with her because oh, that, hell yeah. that human excrement in the White House has really been coming for mm-hmm. her um, so she was there and, um, and so in addition to continuing to raise these demands around conditions and prayer requests they also demanded that the company create a fund that addresses racial disparities in the community and to set up an independent review body for HR complaints. Right. Wow. So that was one of the demands. So that was so those were the demands that they were still raising in 2018. It was a huge protest. It was like a little this under 300 people. Like such ripple implications for workers everywhere. Right. And particularly dem- the rest of the, yes. Amazon, in the Amazon yeah, yeah, universe. That's, that's what I meant. And so, um, and again, here comes, and so right a few days before this protest, uh, the human scum that is Jeff uh, Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, he donated two and a half million to uh, a Minneapolis nonprofit to help homeless folks and families. And the Somali community was like, that's cool. That's not that's what, not we what we, that's for. not what we're asking you for, right? And so one of the workers who's not um East African but it's like, you know, he's also he's a uh, a stower and he's been a part of the um organizing. So he says, you know, they're giving out all these donation donations, but they're ignoring the real issues we raised in the warehouse. Mm. So they had this huge action in um December, that huge protest. So in March of this year, uh, a group of 30 workers in the stowing department held another three-hour protest and where they walked off the job, right? And so these workers were saying that, like, y'all got to do something about these punishing standards for when people make errors. Remember I mm-hmm. say it's, it used to be one in 1,000, now it's one in 2,200 items, Right. And so what Amazon did in response, they just put new machines up that reduced the chance for error. But it didn't really address the worker concerns, oh right? Oh, my gosh. And so actually after this action, one of the workers was fired for, quote, unquote, low productivity. But, of course, he said, and I mean, obviously that he's right, that it was more about retaliation for organizing. Yeah. So prior to the Amazon Prime Day strike that they just had, they, 30 workers had already walked off the job in, wow. at the, at the beginning protest. of this year. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, in that, in the case of that worker who was fired, uh, like he filed a complaint with the NLRB, and the NLRB is the National Labor Relations Board, mm-hmm. right? And so, and listen to this: after that walkout, they say that Ama- they say that Amazon representatives immediately flew out there to meet with the workers, but they still didn't um, acquiesce to their demands. They spent more money exactly. avoiding their demands than they would if they addressed them. But th- so, but that goes to show you how much it's not in the employer's interest right. for the workers to have power. Because right, right. you would do all this stuff, but you but, the, but you won't. You yeah. don't. You don't. It's like it would actually like. Um, it would really fuck them up if the workers have more power in their mm. workplace. So it was after the action where those 30 workers walked out of the job at the beginning of this year. It was right after that and right after the Amazon representatives refused to give in to the demands. That's when they started planning for the protest that just happened, the Amazon wow. Prime Days. Mm. Right? And that the the action that just happened not too long ago, just like uh, it'll be like a week ago uh, by the time this episode comes yeah. out, it was the first action of its kind to happen with Amazon workers here in the in the United States. So this is the first collective action that um, is the first organized collective action that Amazon workers have taken in the U.S. That's fucking huge. Just, and immigrant workers. That's why I was just like immigrant workers. These are black Muslim yeah. immigrant workers. 
first in America right. to do this against Amazon. And so, for folks who don't know, it was a six-hour strike. And it ended up being a six-hour strike because the... So, you know, it's a 24-hour operation. So, Mm -hmm. the day shift walked off three hours early, and then the night shift uh, went in three hours late. Come on, shift change. Ain't no coverage. Okay. (laughs) And so... But here's the thing, right? So, because some people might say, well, why didn't they just take the whole day? Why didn't they just strike, you know, the whole day? So Amazon has this system where uh, the workers are not allowed to take more than a certain amount of unpaid time off. And so what they found out and when they did that action in March that they were basically their time, that three hour walkout mm-hmm. went towards their unpaid time. It went to their unpaid time off and they're only allowed mm-hmm. like uh, 20, I think it was 20 hours a month or like 20 hours a year mm-hmm. of unpaid time off. So they were, so they're being strategic. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I've been trying to see, I, I saw, I haven't seen anything uh, yet. And I think as, as there's more, uh, like analyses or assessments that come out, I think we'll have a better sense. But I don't. I I found um, I didn't find one number that described that told us how many workers went on strike. Mm-hmm. Um, in one article I saw that it was thirty to forty, and then in another article right before they were about to go on strike, it said that two hundred were preparing uh, mm-hmm. to and you know to be. But that feels real, you know. Like it'd be like thirty or forty of y'all, and then as the time get closer, more people get like right. emboldened, right? Fired up, like exactly. Fuck it, I'm leaving three hours. Early too. Exactly. And there's um and us and I think I saw it was like twelve hundred or fifteen hundred people in the whole facility. Mm. Right? This is where I wanted to I went to a training when I was with the worker center and we went to this one workshop and it was so good because they had this little it's kinda like a little picture set of pictures or like a scale. Mm-hmm. Whereas like when a worker comes to you, it's like you wanna you wanna try to assess what kind of action they're willing to take. Yeah. Right? And so it's something as small, and it's a scale. So, like, you're gradually on their little scale, you're increasing in the audacity exactly. and the in the um, tenacity of that action, mm-hmm. right? So it could be like, I'll share this information with my friend, right? Mm-hmm, I'll mm-hmm. file a complaint, right? Mm-hmm. I'll confront, you know, my boss. I'll convince other workers to confront something with my boss it's like or then like the max is like i'll go on strike and i'll get every you know what i'm saying but the point is is that like most people don't wake up saying i'm ready to burn down my workplace and toss my boss to the guillotine Mm -hmm. that's not where most people are 200 people strike right i mean who's to say how many more we're like i'm filing a complaint right i'm i'm doing this or it's like I mean, think about how much action they've already done, yeah. right? So then it, it then it gives you a goal mm-hmm. for the next time. Yep. So maybe and so like I think so much. I mean, I don't have time to get into it right now, but there's a really good um, uh, labor organizer and writer named Jane uh, McAlevey. So she's got this really book called No Shortcuts, and one of the things it's about labor organizing. And one of the things that she's really all about is like we need super majorities. So it's like how do you get like ninety percent mm-hmm. of the people yeah. in a workplace to commit? You know, that's a deep organizer. You got to yeah. actually talk to people. You got to like debate with people. So yeah. with people who are on the line, you got to actually persuade them. It's in your interest to be, you know what I'm saying? And so, but the the point is, it's like, so you see, like they, so they did an action in March. That was three hours. This action, six, six hours. Yeah. So next time it could be like a full, full ship and like 500 yeah. workers or a, a thousand workers. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so it's mm-hmm. like, um, that's why it's really important, you know, for us to, to support these things as yeah. they happen. And to that point, I think a lot of people misunderstood. Like, the boycott was not the main thing. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. the boycott, so the consumer boycott was basically just like, 
it's kind of like the equivalent. So uh, not too long ago, there's there's like a New England uh, grocery chain called Stop and Shop. And Stop and Shop workers were on strike. And when the workers were walking the picket line, they were encouraging consumers not to cross mm-hmm, the picket line, mm-hmm. right? So that's kind of the equivalent of what the boycott was. Yeah. So like to like Crystal's point is like, well, how come the boycott isn't longer? It's like, well, that's not that's not the main that's not the main um, action, and it's not the most powerful action. Yeah. Right. The most powerful action is the workers going like doing the walkout the mm-hmm. workers organizing in in their actual workplace and that was just more like a the consumer thing was like support for um so, for the workers and it's like that's also important for mm-hmm. workers because you can see damn right like i didn't realize all these people like had our back had our back and so exactly. then the organizers the workers can say look at all these people who have our backs and then again going back to what we just said this is how you get there's one small way you can get the numbers up and get you know have more audacious actions right. going forward so then so then like us as consumers not crossing the picket line sends the message to other workers like oh shit like other people support us exactly. in doing this y'all got support from yeah it trended on twitter right and it sends the message to amazon don't fuck with these workers because exactly. like we will hit you where it counts which is right. your profits right right and so in the grand scheme of things like to like to her point is like sure the two like a two-day boycott is maybe not going to necessarily mean anything mm-hmm. um to amazon uh, but side note even if it did amazon is not going to tell us that exactly Do you know what I mean, exactly. so they're not going to be like, "Oh, this action by workers and the support by consumers really, you know," mm-hmm. because they don't, they don't. Again, they don't want to inspire other workers. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? They don't want to say, "Oh, look, these methods mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. Um, work." So going back to how it was hard for me to find numbers, like one of the things that I saw from like an Amazon press statement, they were like, "It was just like 15 workers who went out." Of course, they and they were be. like, "This is just greedy unions who are just trying to get more dues from people." Mm-hmm. And um, so one, these workers are not unionized, but also second, like the fucking <laughs> unmitigated gall of Amazon, uh, a two hundred and something billion dollar company mm-hmm. that that doesn't pay any federal taxes with the CEO who's the richest person alive. Don't they don't have any fucking right to tell anybody that they're being greedy <laughs> right but it's also like this old school trope of like, oh there's outside agitators mm-hmm. who are just coming in and stirring up trouble when it's like again i've already laid out this year and a half history mm-hmm. of this particular group of workers mm-hmm. um organizing and so just uh just who was there like there was a group of engineers and tech workers and Amazon and they have this group called amazon employees for climate justice so they came from there was like three workers that came from seattle but they brought over 200 letters of support from their um from their like comrades or people they're working with um in um seattle and so they're their little working group around climate justice is they're trying to um, push Amazon uh, to stop aiding the gas in the oil industry and to stop uh, using fossil fuels. Um, there is a captain, a pilot from Atlas Air, which is one of Amazon's contracted carriers. Um, and I mentioned that woman uh, before who had that workers' compensation cl- uh, case from Dallas. And then also there was workers at a fulfillment center in Germany, Amazon workers who went on strike, and there are also protests and actions in Spain and Poland. Mm-hmm. And it's important to point out that the Amazon workers in Europe are, they're unionized. And so I mm-hmm. think it's also important to point out that um, these workers are not unionized mm-hmm. in, here in the U.S. What does that mean, Nikita? So, to not be unionized? So to not, so basically, uh, a very short, a short version, a short little description of a union is that it's a it's a formal organization that's supposed to be 
that's supposed to negotiate and collectively bargain with the employer. And it's supposed to be, um, it's, it's a formal organization in which workers can express their power in the workplace. Got you. But, like I said, these workers have been doing all of this amazing work, and they're not... Um, Without a union. Yeah, and they're mm-hmm. not organized. And from... I don't remember which episode I talked about it in, uh, talked about it in but there's, um, there's Section 7 of the National uh, Labor... Uh, <laughs> National Labor Relations Board. There's a thing. It's called protected. Come on, Section Seven. It's called protected concerted activity, and all that means is that it could be um, either. It has to be at least two workers, mm-hmm. or it can even be one worker working on behalf of workers. Yeah. And it basically says that if these workers are, they don't have to be in a union. As as long as one or more workers um, are working together, yeah. As one as more. As long as one or more workers, two or more workers um, mm-hmm. are gathered in raising issues mm-hmm. around wages and conditions, then they're not, they're not supposed to be subjected to retaliation. Right, right. And so one of the things that I love when I just listened to this interview from uh, Jane McAlevey is that she was like, so she said when she's in a meeting with workers, she'll point to them individually and says, the boss doesn't need you, the boss doesn't need you, the boss doesn't need you, but the boss... It's like, you know, the boss needs all of you all as a group. Mm. And so in the same way that the boss needs all of the workers as a group, it's like we need each other as a group. Yes. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so I just, uh, I don't have time to get into it, but this is really huge uh, because like this particular sector, this logistics and warehouse workers, um, this, there's... Um, like these are considered like choke points in capitalism in capitalism because it's like and you think about all the speed think about how important speed is to Amazon yeah. do you know what i mean so it's like they need they need mm-hmm. items and materials to be moving really quickly right, right. Mm-hmm. so if a group of workers put a stop to that yeah. then that that's that really slows mm-hmm. shit down do you mm-hmm. know what i mean so it's like and i whoop. right so, amazon whoop. <laughs> right <laughs> So like back in the day, it was like the assembly line. You put a, you throw a yeah. wrench in that bitch, and this yeah. shit is fucked up. That's what I, I've been thinking of Jimmy Boggs this whole time. Oh, who's and Jimmy Boggs? Grace Lee Boggs, uh, Bay, right? Uh, but but of uh, a black man from Alabama yeah. who was all about unionizing and organizing, who talked about like. Uh, capitalism basically overworking the human body yeah. right so so then it will move to like automation and uh-huh. like like that's what it would exactly be. like these robotic yeah, yeah exactly mm-hmm. so it's just like it's there's so many things that are important about this uh group of workers it's a you know them sitting at the table first is amazing them doing this action first and it is and it's all happening in a very strategic sector mm-hmm. do you know mm-hmm. what i mean so so yes so essentially the two the two day boycott Amazon as consumers is is the equivalent of people changing their profile pictures to blue exactly in support of exactly. Somalia exactly. okay basically right all right so well Nikita <laughs> that's the labor ass bottom, bottom line, line. yeah. <laughs> So it took me a long time to like pull all these things together. So that's why I don't have yeah. no jingle. It's okay. It's okay. okay. Understandable. And if y'all hear jangling, um, it's, it's money's new kitty. It's my new kitty, Riot. It's and an actual kitty. It's not any kind of sexual <laughs> innuendo. No, no, it's an actual cat. I just imagine um. a dildo running around the living room on all fours. <laughs> jingling, jingling. <laughs> no, and he is like really spirited, uh, and Riri is pissed. Um, but yeah, his name's Riot, and he's causing one. 
All right, so we're gonna move it on. Well, we would usually move it on along to the topic segment, but we don't have a topic this episode. If we just, I feel like we did, we've given a lot of in the mental moment and in this the is word. Because I feel like I gave a mental word. <laughs> you really did. And I love how they both went together. This they time really around. did. Organizing like, and thank you. That's not what we asked for. Right. <laughs> Organizing. Yes, it's like, nope, not that. Nope, not no, that. no, 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 no. No, 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 no. You're a little flimsy ass apology. Up, up, up. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> that prayer room, not enough. Not enough. <laughs> not enough. <laughs> so, if y'all want to submit topics, you know you can always do that to QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. Or you can hit us up in the DMs and submit a topic as well. All right, y'all. So we're going to move it on along to our last segment, which is kind of thing I like this segment. It's my favorite segment. The same. <laughs> curved Chronicles. Curved, 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 curved. Where we talk about the dating woes and wins of being Queer Walk or your dating woes and wins. Y'all dating stories and, you know, love connections mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And we have one that was submitted. Before we get into the submission, do you have one? I just want to say everything I said on the last episode redacted. Okay. <laughs> that is so funny. Redaddy dick dacted. No, I'm joking. Redaddy dick dacted. No, I'm joking. Um, I don't have a curve chronicle. I I am realizing that I need, I'm like I'm figuring out like what I want and what I'm okay with mm. and like like boundary setting mm-hmm. and. Yeah, all that stuff. Uh, what's that mean? Boundaries and all that stuff. I don't know what that means. I don't, I don't know what that means. Trying to get some redacted, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, speaking of redacted, do you have any Curve Chronicles, Nikita? I do, actually. <laughs> and it's almost kind of related to the word. So, my friend and I were um, meeting up. We were going to go out for, well, we did go out for lunch, but then he was like, Hey, there's like a picket line in town. <laughs> so he's like, let's meet. He's like, let's walk the picket line and then we can go get lunch. When you told me this. Okay, go so, ahead. <laughs> so where the picket line was, there wasn't like a good place to park. So there was a gas station not too far. So I was like, I'm going to go park at this gas station. This is the most Nikita ass curve chronicle I ever heard. Anyway, so I'm parking at this gas station. Meanwhile, of course, I'm not. You know, I'm not going and I'm not getting gas. I'm not mm-hmm. going into a little convenience store. So I was like, let me, I could see like where the picket line was. I could see the gas station. So I was like, let me just, you know, say, let me park at the end so I can see my car just mm-hmm. in case somebody mm-hmm. try to call a tow truck or something. So I parked and there's this guy who's hanging out in the parking lot. And I'm like, damn, let me just, you know, let me just try to finesse my way to be like, oh, you know, I just got to do something real quick. Mm-hmm. So he's like, hey. And I was like, um, yes. <laughs> he was like, where are you going? And I was like, um. I'm going to the picket line. I was like, I'm going, I was like, I got to go to this uh, picket line over here. <laughs> and he was like, okay. He's he like, you know, I just watched this parking lot. And he was like, excuse me. He's like, you look familiar. I was like, sir, I don't know you. <laughs> and so he was like, he's like, come here. He's like, ain't you so-and-so? And I'm like, no. And, he's like, and then he was like, you got a man? <laughs> and I was like, sir, I was like, leave me alone. I was like, I told you I got to get to this picket line. <laughs> I felt so gullible because I'm like, oh my god! I hope this, I hope this gentleman doesn't tell the owners that I'm parked here illegally. <laughs> and like, he just had all like um, a muscle shirt and just like 
<laughs> some basketball shorts. So I'm like, he don't work here. He don't work. He was just hanging out. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Nikita. Oh I was like, God. I feel, I feel bamboozled. You told him. <laughs> he said, "You got a man." And you said, "I gotta get to this picture. I gotta get to this picture. I can't be out here fooling with you." <laughs> Asking me if I got a man. I got to get to this picket line. I got chance to chance. Sign so. <laughs> That's going to be my new thing. When you're when, turning somebody down? When I turn somebody down, can I get your number? I got to get to this picket I gotta line. I got to get to a picket line. <laughs> I was so mad. <laughs> oh my gosh, Nikita. It was ridiculous. If anybody was gonna curve somebody by telling them they gotta get to a picket line, it, it would be yeah, you. it would have been me. It would be you or Jaffe. Oh, oh yeah, which is why we're a couple. <laughs> wow. I don't know why you're laughing. This is funny. It's, it's not. It's ridiculous. It's, it's... <laughs> I thought he was gonna have my car towed. Hey, hey, you got a man? <laughs> it was so funny because he was like yelling. He was like, "Come here." He's like, "Aren't you so and so?" I was like, "No." He was like. You got a man? <laughs> I was like, nigga, get out of here. <laughs> oh, gosh. Wow, that tickled me. Ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so, if y'all needed a new way to curve somebody, just tell them you got to get to a picket line. You got to get to a picket line. <laughs> What's your Instagram? I, I got to get to Ooh, a I got to get to this. Uh-uh. <laughs> this march is not going to march itself, honey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> so we also have a submitted curved chronicle. And I named this person. I feel like I got some aunts on my grandma's side. Some of my great, great, great aunts named Iona. Iona. So we're going to call this person Iona. All right. So Iona writes I took to Instagram to potentially find new people to engage with. So I searched an account that's for black queer folks in my city, somewhere in Alabama. So you already know, ain't shit but dykes. Auntie's here, and that's cool. It's all love, but I'm just not there yet. So anyways, I swiped through their followers list to see what was up, and I come across a young woman's page whom I had never seen before. We had a few mutual friends, and by the looks of her page, we were into the same stuff, like yoga, healing stones, herbs, and things that align with spiritual consciousness. After a follow, a few likes, comments... I ended up DMing her. Oh, shit. We chit-chat sparsely um, that night. And the next day, I told her I wanted to take her on a date. Sigh. At the time, I was still trying to discern how to know if I wanted to start out platonic when I meet someone new or be flirty and try the romance and shit. She's a water sign, so I can feel her actual energy through the text, and I could tell she wasn't interested, but maybe she enjoys a pursuit? So she responded and was telling me what she likes to do. And I'm like, okay, we could do X, Y, Z. When are you free? And she was like, we can meet when the stars align. Whoa. And I'm literally like, ellipses. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I... And I was slightly pressed because I don't usually ask people out, mainly because I end up either feeling anxious and uncomfortable, but I go forward anyways. I had never met a woman in my city that I was attracted to who is into the same woo-woo spirituality tidbit, shout out, stuff that I am. Yes, I'm referencing an episode, of course. <laughs> shout out to woo-woo tidbits. <laughs> 
So a few sparse texts later, and maybe a day or two, we talk on the phone for literally four hours. And she was saying how she doesn't like to meet people too soon from social media because if she doesn't like them, it ends so soon. And I was like, that's the exact reason I prefer the opposite. Uh-huh. So I can get ahead and make that cut. Same. So we planned to meet. We intended on meeting out at a park, but a storm came out of nowhere, so she invited me to her house. I get there, and everything is cool, but she is just not my type. And I don't truly have a type, but I'm a Virgo, so anyone could be my type or not my type at any moment. That sounds ridiculous. Hey, I understand that. I was about to say, if there was anybody, it would be you that would understand that. It's a vibe. Whatever. The conversation wasn't very natural, nor interesting or engaging. She was very condescending, would cut me off when I spoke, and I feel like we both had desires that in the moment we knew wouldn't be fulfilled with each other, and that was that. I also found out she had just gotten out of a long-term relationship. We chit-chat a little more and eat the delicious hummus that I brought. (laughs) I left and we text a little for maybe a few days. Then I told her I'm not interested in pursuing her romantically and we would be better as friends. She agreed and we really haven't talked since. I definitely feel like the disconnect was mutual. I also feel like it usually happens that way. You agree to be friends, but it falls by the wayside. Mm -hmm. Though a part of me wishes it didn't because I'm still friendless. Besides Mm -hmm. long-distance connections. Oh, boy. Ooh, Iona. So. Okay. I, I don't know. I just feel like this is so tough because trying to, I, I don't know. I feel like it's tough to try to mix. Well, it's ironic that I'm saying this, but like mix making friends <laughs> mm-hmm. and like trying Dating. to start romantic yep. relationships. Yep. When there's four of you in the area. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Have Has there... I don't think there's been a time when I have, like, pursued somebody and then, like, we tried to do a romantic thing from the get-go mm-hmm. and then ended up being friends. I feel like I've done the... Opposite. I feel like I've been friends, dated, and then even if... And then once you end, then, like, you go back to being mm-hmm. friends. I've mm-hmm. never done it. And, yeah, in the, okay, we're going to try to do a romantic thing, and then that doesn't work out, and we try to be friends. I've never done that. I hear legend tales of this happening, that people meet, and it's, you know, they it's obviously, like, intimate, romantic, and they date, and then they're like, let's just be friends, and they can actually be friends. Yeah. I have never experienced that. So. Yeah. I also have never experienced meeting, being friends, then mm-hmm. getting to. Oh yes, I have, but we're not friends now. So right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, so it's like that tricky part, and that's what I feel like is the tension of Iona's letter. Is like, how do you remain friends even yeah. if like however you initiate doesn't work out? Yeah. Okay, I heard that she wasn't your type, and y'all felt like okay, this is definitely not sparks flying. What's stopping it from being friendly? What's, like, getting in the way of that? Because if it was just because she was, like, condescending and, like, she was cutting you off and everything. um, I mean, those aren't qualities that you want in a friend either. It's not, but those things hurt in a different way when you Mm. think something could be possible with somebody. You think so? Yes. I'm just a curmudgeonly ass bitch. And so you start doing things that are too annoying. I don't want to have too much... Yeah, but if you you go over there because you think, I'm about to bring my hummus and we about to see, you know, Uh this is a reschedule because we're supposed to meet at the park. It's 
it's still potential for it to be flirty. Uh, and so those things are extra annoying. I like, see. stop, stop. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, whenever when she said we gonna meet when the stars align, I'd be like, I would have right. been like, I'd be like, all right, girl, you, yeah. you have fun with the stars aligning. Yeah, that was another thing I was thinking. Um, I don't know if this is coming straight up out of my own personal experience, but I've heard feedback that people will like try to express something to me, and because they don't express it in the way that I want them to, I don't hear it. So I'm like, you ain't say that. I need you to do the <laughs> like right, and I think. Maybe that might have to do with earth earth signage, uh, particularly being Virgos, right? So when she told you we'll meet when the stars align, it should have been clipped right there. That's that's kind like, of how I felt. Don't push her to meet up to see if sparks fly. The sparks ain't fly. Like right. that is that is essentially a curve. That's that was that is exactly what I was thinking. I was like, that yeah. sounds like a curve. But you know. I, I understand as a fellow Virgo. It's like, because it wasn't a curve that, like, you recognize as a curve, like... I am um, not interested I, in you. I do not want to pursue that much, with you in that pre- way. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, I don't take that as... I'm like, you are, you are um into the woo-woo tidbits ass bitch, too. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, okay, we waiting on the, the lunar eclipse? Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we trying to manifest some shit together. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'll wait till the new moon. Like, <laughs> I'll, I'll look at my calendar. Yeah. I really do have a lunar calendar. I know but, you do. You know. <laughs> I left my road tonight at home anyway. Oh, so. my gosh. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, I think we have to hear things when people say it to us. There's, uh, there's also just things that don't make sense. Like, they talked on the phone for four hours. That don't mean shit. I've recognized that. The same way somebody could dance with you all night. Like the last curve that oh, got some, yeah. somebody could dance with you all night and that mean nothing. Somebody could talk to you all night and that means nothing. And I'm not saying it means nothing because friendships are essential to the soul, right? Um, oh shit, I think that whoo, the the Greek just hopped out of me. But <laughs> but okay, uh, money tease. <laughs> so the these things are meaningful, right? We need we need these connections. We need community. We, you know, we some social ass beings, right? But they don't mean these like, oh my gosh, am I, is this the love? Oh, I see. Um, things that a lot of us think we do, think they are. And it's really hard when <sighs> you trying to figure out how you register that somebody's flirting with you or interested mm. and somebody else ha- that you're meeting has a totally different way of reading that stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is why, um, hashtag perpetually curved. <laughs> So it doesn't. It seems like the contact waned, and there's no friendship. I feel like you talked to somebody. I can't remember the last time I've talked on the phone for anybody for four hours. You have to have something in common. Keep the freak. I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just tell me keep the freak? <laughs> <laughs> I tried to told you. Like, um, contrary to what your gay aunties told us about picking up the phone, it. Actually, somebody could talk for four hours and not. But I mean, be. even for friendship, though. Even for friendship, I'm just I've I don't want to talk on the phone for anybody for four hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm. I mean, I'm just like Iona. I'm like, let's meet up, even if even if it's friendship, right? Yeah. I'm like, I, 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 this phone call. Like, let's 
let's meet up. My phone getting hot. I got to plug it in. Like, yeah, it's just too much. <laughs> yeah. I, uh-uh. I, I, don't know. I don't know. Some people, I think other people will have different advice, but I should just be upfront that I'm kind of, on some level, I think I'm a comp. I am a sort of compartmentalizing kind of person. So I feel like if you want to meet friends, I feel like you have to be intentional about I mean, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe I shouldn't draw conclusions just from this one instance. But I'm like, I feel like you should just be like, the next time you see somebody, you meet somebody. It's like, hey, you know, I'm. I don't know. I don't know a non weird way to be like, you know, I'm looking for friends or just trying to meet people. Everybody says that though, because nobody wants to come off as like needy or yeah, strange yeah. or like actually I'm looking for like love and intimacy. Yeah. So like, I feel like people will be like, "Oh, you thirsty." Like, yeah. no. It's just like I'm real about what I'm looking for. I just feel that, that that's really what I'm trying to get. At. I feel like you just have to be honest about that. In my experience, just kind of doing the the lingering trying to see where it goes, that doesn't that doesn't really work for me. So I feel like I'm just like, "Oh, okay." Like, it doesn't work for me either, which is why it's not the advice that I would give you because yeah. like i don't do the lingering see where it goes and that has not worked out for me it's like maybe the lingering see where it goes you actually could go on these things that might be dates maybe. might not be but then you have enough time to get to know each other so that maybe something will last and that y'all yeah. could be friends i mean i think it's difficult also because i think people say oh let's be friends and like that has become a sort of cultural like i think that we kind of understand that culturally in some ways as a curve yeah like i think people say that and don't actually they don't actually want to be friends you know what i mean yeah, so i think it's yeah. that's why i feel like you just kind of have to be like I, I don't know how you like make that clear to somebody it's like hey you know um like you know i'm trying to build a fine community so i actually really would like to like have you still a part of my community maybe that way yeah maybe we can't use the shortcut um ways that everybody talks about like this yeah. kind of stuff yeah and, and like, say what kind of friendship, too. The same way we talking about, like, defining intimate relationships. So, be like, I just don't want to be a, hey, girl, when I see you around, mm-hmm. friend. Like, I want I want us to still talk. And, like, yeah. we're into all this, like, same Let's go do stuff. some of these things together. Yeah, 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 yeah. I found this bomb-ass crystal shop if you want, yeah. if you're trying to come. Yeah. So, yeah. Hope any of that helped, Iona. Yeah. And uh, I'm definitely here in solidarity with you because this, I could have wrote this letter. <laughs> Truly. Yeah. Let us know. Give us some updates on your platonic and romantic adventures going forward. <laughs> All right, y'all. So, whew, that's. I can't believe we didn't melt. I thought I, we were going to die we did mid-episode. Whew, I think I am dehydrated at yeah. this point, so. Talk about um, a bitch being thirsty. <laughs> Literally. Lick, 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 lick. So, yeah. So, we made it through. Riot jingling and all. Mm-hmm. Don't forget to RSVP for the Queer Walk Upstate Escape. Escape. We got three days jam-packed with events for y'all. Um, the link is in the description box. Or if you follow us on any of the things, it's in our um, bio. Do that by August 8th, 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 so that we can have an accurate headcount. Yes. Yeah. And I am money, and I am a whole mood. And I am Nikita, your labor-loving lesbian. And you just listened to episode 70 of Queer Walk the Podcast.